Hi, this is the Mito Podcast, and I am Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we have two very special guests with us today. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, hi, I'm Bree Billingsley. And I'm Jesse. And we're the parents of Kyra. Now, we met over Instagram, and what's interesting is I met the both of you on the same day, but separately. And it was... <laughs> I, I didn't look before, I was going to look before we started the, the podcast, but I think it was even within the same hour. You guys had both messaged me <laughs> and it was, it was just really cool to hear from both of you at the same time. And um, at the time we had met over Instagram just because of our kids, we were, I'm sure it was probably maybe a hashtag or something that brought us together, um, which is just interesting because that's kind of how I've met most people uh, with Mito is actually more through Instagram than through Facebook, which is really neat. <laughs> yeah, same with me. Um, so why don't you guys uh, go ahead and talk a little bit about Kyra and how your Mito story sort of began? How did your diagnosis start? Okay, um, so Kyra um, was born, um, we had, I had a beautiful pregnancy with her um, she's three and a half. So, um, we had a great pregnancy and a pretty good delivery. I had an emergency, emergency C-section, um, but pretty typical. And she was only in the NICU for about like 45, 45 minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, she was really a typical baby and she didn't, she passed all of her newborn screening tests and we were nursing. I mean, it was hard, um, but we were nursing and, um, we had a really wonderful eight with Kyra before we figured out there was something wrong mm -hmm. um and she started having some just tone issues where I think her first diagnosis was that she was hypotonic mm -hmm. and so she just wasn't meeting her milestones at around eight or nine months and just was having some trouble like with tummy time and keeping her head up and never rolled over really maybe she did one time but with some when she was like well when she was like four months old she was like rolling over for a minute and I was like this is so great you're a genius <laughs> and then I think that there was regression but it's so hard as new parents to know what's um typical or not and I think you'll hear me use that word typical a lot I don't like normal you know I it feels weird um but yeah I think there was some regression and then we um we started seeing physical therapy and we're like yeah she's scored so low on her original assessment mm -hmm. like negative points it was really shocking for us that's when we kind of knew like oh something yeah, so this on. is so much worse than we thought it was and then um neurology visit and he's like everything's fine just keep her in physical therapy I don't want to do labs or um an MRI, MRI. Or anything like that and I was like okay something's wrong but we'll keep you know we, we went hardcore on the PT but it just kept getting worse and worse and she was super fussy and then started having seizures. And that's when we went to the hospital and got diagnosed. Yeah. So and it was infantile spasms. Infantile spasms. So it how many- started with like eye movements. The, the very first time we noticed it, I was actually playing with her and uh, was holding around, like kind of doing like the airplane kind of style thing. And she, her eyes would start rolling into the back of her head, like kind of flicking towards the side. And I was like, told Brie, I was like, that almost looked like a seizure, but I was like, didn't think she would obviously have seizures yeah and so it started with that and then just became more and more uh repetitious to the point where um we actually were on our way to the, the hospital and she just started having 
um, multiple seizures uh, over and over again. And then when we actually got her to the ER, they said that she was in status epilepticus, so she was just having constant seizures. And so we had to go through all the diagnosing and getting her stabilized. And um, that was a pretty rough night, um, obviously, just figuring out uh, what we had uh, ahead of us. So. So when you guys got to the hospital, what obviously they were telling you about epilepsy, but with diagnosis towards um, Mito, what did they, what tests did they give her there? Um, so when we were admitted, they did an MRI, mm -hmm. um, a bunch of blood tests, but I think what made, what made them realize this was like a metabolic or might, you know, type, they first started with, we're calling it a metabolic thing was from the um, low white matter in her MRI. Okay. Uh, and have you guys had more tests done since then? Yeah. So then multiple admissions, I think they started the process of um, whole exome testing, um, whole exome sequencing, right? Um, and that took a while for us. It took like six months to get those results back. Oh, wow. That's a really long time. Yeah. They were like, all right, well, yeah, she has, she has seizures. She can't eat anymore. She has a feeding tube. Um, well, and I guess to back up a little bit, though, that within that first night of admission is either that night or the second, um, we were trying to bottle feed her because she wasn't um, latching or anything with uh, breastfeeding, and uh, she just started choking, and within that 12 hours, she was uh, nothing by mouth, and we were starting to like talk about right uh, G-tube mm -hmm. and, and all this stuff, so it was a very, very quick progression with that mm -hmm. first admission. So, like, the day before... I'm nursing my daughter just fine. You know, she, what I'm kind of annoyed about is that she had a lip tie and nobody told me <laughs> and I found out later. Um, so we were having trouble nursing, but we were doing it and she was nine months old or something and it was going great. And then seizures, admission, I was nursing her in the hospital and the nurse or the, the occupational therapist came in and said, look at your shirt. She's like, she's not getting any milk. It's going down her face and it's going down you. And I looked down and I was like, oh my God. She can usually do this. And uh, that's how we stopped nursing. And that was terrible. It was the worst way to stop. Not the worst way to stop nursing, obviously. Yeah. But that sucked. And then she got an NG and then she got a feeding tube. That's just so much to happen all at one time. Yeah. I was like, you guys don't know. Like, this isn't Kyra. This, what are you guys talking about? No, she's okay. But, you know, we did um, go to her pediatrician when she first started having some, like, fussiness and kind of were noticing eye movements, but I didn't know what a seizure looked like. He didn't know what an uh, infantile spasm looked like. Um, and the, the doctor was like, oh, she just has a cold. And I was like, oh, I think there's something else going on. He's like, no. He was like a super lax pediatrician. He's a really good pediatrician for typical kids. <laughs> it just sucks that I took her in and she was having seizures for who knows how long and the doctor didn't even yeah <clears throat> that's so scary I'm sorry that all of that happened all at once thank you I mean I mean that's like it's you can't even say I'm sorry because it doesn't really do it justice because I I mean yeah. I didn't have a fast decline like that but um I mean we had a decline but it was within a couple of days and it was because we thought she was having seizures and she wasn't oh okay um, medication for the seizures and that medication is what really caused her mm -hmm. um 
but it wasn't like that. Ours was all very gradual. So I can't, I mean, when we went into the hospital, I understand the part of your nursing, your healthy baby. And then all of a sudden that's kind of taken away from you. I know. I know you do know that, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, obviously it wasn't to the extent as it was for you. I mean, she's in your arms and you think that you're feeding and Mm -hmm. I'm like, look, it's fine. And they're like, no, honey, you have to look, she's not getting any milk. And I was like, wow, it's just the decline that seizures can cause. Um, but yeah, to, to back up, um, just talking about what she has, what she was diagnosed with. Um, she has mitochondrial disorder, Lees-like. So she doesn't actually have Lees syndrome because what they say is that she doesn't have lesions on her brain. She has low white matter. Um, but she does just have a um, genetic mutation um, in the, the IARS2 gene, I guess. Um, and nobody else has that besides, I, I found somebody in France and so, and I think in Japan, the, the um, language barrier is obviously hard, but I think there's two other kids that we found that have that exact same mutation. I think I actually know who you're talking about. Um, uh, Cause I've talked to her a, a couple of the mom in Japan, right? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think I've talked to her a couple of times a while ago, not, um, and sorry about my dog he he and something was going on but he doesn't jump in my lap very often but <laughs> um, my son Troy uh, he doesn't have the same um, genetic diagnosis as you but uh, very similar in the beginning the hypotonia and okay neurologist completely saying oh it's okay just give him some time do some PT and then mm-hmm. just us knowing that this isn't right. And just having to go to other neurologists and the same getting the Lee like diagnosis, which we actually, he's 12 years old and we still have that. And we just got a completely non mito related diagnosis with more genetic testing done. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, you know, it's very, cause he doesn't have lesions <laughs> on his brain either. Yeah. Um, so he does have some white matter issues. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting. We see a lot in talking to different parents, how the stories, just kind of those similar symptoms. And I mean, my pregnancy was fine. He was born and he didn't have any issues, just the hypotonia. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately um, he's never had a serious decline. Um, yeah. But you know, it's just that whole pathway. It just seems that, you know, a lot of parents just go through that. And you, most of us are new parents and it's like, oh, you don't know what's wrong. I kept going to my friends. Well, I don't know if this is normal. Look, he's not really holding his head up. Like, what do you think? You know, because you don't know, you've never had it yeah. before. And exactly. it's like, you're trying to figure this all out and trying not to be, you know, over dramatic about no, something's going on. And so mm-hmm. it's definitely, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, I think back and I'm like, I don't, do I remember his first year of life? It's just like, there was so much going yeah. on and trying to figure out so much. I'm like, what, what, what even happened? You know? <laughs> Yeah, I was, I remember being so um, relieved when Kyra, when they told me that something was wrong with Kyra, because I'd been feeling that way, and I'd been comparing her milestones to other kids, and that just kept me up at night, like, you know, she wasn't hitting it, and I was so obsessed with those milestones, mm-hmm. you know, like, when is she going to start doing this, when is she going to start doing this, but this, this girl and I had this baby at the same time, and her kids were doing way more. And so like that just sigh of relief to not have to keep up with those um, milestones anymore was really nice. Yeah. How weird is that? <laughs> well, it's, 
it takes that mystery out of it. It takes that yeah. investigation that you keep doing in your mind about what's happening. It's like, oh, something really is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So when you guys got the gen- the the final or the latest genetic testing or diagnosis, what type of test did they do? Like blood or tissue? Yeah. Blood. Well, yeah, so they did blood, um, but we've had quite a bit of issues with um, specimen collection. <laughs> so we uh, tried to do a uh, skin biopsy um, and it got lost in um, in route to uh, the testing center. So that took us four months uh, to five months to, to delay that whole you know mm-hmm. thing. And then we had it done again, and this was in a different state. So we have to drive about 500 miles round trip, roughly, right? Something like that. Yeah. And so uh, we got the second um, skin biopsy, and it came back normal. So normal mitochondrial function in her skin mm-hmm. biopsy. So, yeah. But we'll, to start, we did the whole exome sequencing with the blood test, tested Kyra, and then tested us. Mm-hmm. And then it came back, Lee's syndrome. That's what they told us. Oh, yeah. So we're like, oh, we have the diagnosis. We have Chisley syndrome. And then we ended up getting kind of a second opinion in Seattle because we're, we're in Idaho, in Boise, Idaho. So we drive to Seattle and go to Seattle Children's, which is an amazing hospital. And they have a mito specialist there. Um, so uh, he did her whole workup, EEG, MRI, um, based off of the testing, the whole, the West testing. Um, and he's like, she doesn't have Lee syndrome. He's like, no, she doesn't. And then he left the room. He left. I was like, like mid EEG with Kyra. And there's only one parent allowed in there. I'm holding her. And he pops in. He's like, hey, she's got Lee syndrome. And then he closes the door and leaves. And I was like, (laughs) any follow up with that? (laughs) It's just like, okay. All right. No, he's so cute. He's so funny, this doctor. I love him. Um, But yeah, so she just has Lee's like syndrome because her MRI does not look like a Lee syndrome kid as much because of the lesion. So yeah, so now we're still trying to get a muscle biopsy. Yeah, well, and then so we did that second skin biopsy. It came back normal. So then it's like, well, let's uh, try the muscle to see if we can confirm that because our biggest objective, I guess, with that is if we can prove that it's a mitochondrial disorder, we have an opportunity to get on a drug trial. And without that, we don't even have that opportunity. And so uh, we drove out again for another um, biopsy, and this time um, it was when there was a uh, issue going on with their OR, and so we literally showed up for the pre-anesthesia appointment the day before, had no idea that they were shutting down, and they told us, and so we basically, they wanted us to go through the whole pre-surgery uh, surgery appointments, mm-hmm. so we went to three appointments and then turned around and drove. So you need to go home because we're canceling your appointment. So, and so we still have not been able to get that done because uh, we were supposed to go back in June and have a bunch of things done, but obviously with COVID, that's all on hold too. That's crazy. So, um, so Kyra just has Kyra's disease. No. Yeah, well, and that's exactly. <laughs> she and could then, have something so rare that it could be called Kyra's disease. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's that's the thing that I think is so hard about mitochondrial disease. And I don't know, Ashley, if you listen to the symposium. 
um, yesterday, they, the UMDF had a symposium for the last two days. Um, but um, they were saying that it's like 50% of children with, say, a mitochondrial dysfunction or disease or myopathy do not have a specific diagnosis. And that's the same thing with um, my son. He, we, he did have a muscle biopsy. That was the first thing that they had. Came back with red ragged fibers. It came back with complex... Um, four and five, um, but he's never had any genetic markers that say that he has a mitochondrial oh. disease. So it's more of a, um, almost like a secondary diagnosis, which we didn't know until we got this recent diagnosis of Soto's syndrome. Um, but it's, it's very interesting that unfortunately, there are some diseases that are so rare, some mitochondrial uh, diseases that are rare that they just haven't even discovered yet. Um, mm -hmm. I know that with our journey, I, you know, you get on Facebook and you try to find, you know, this new disease and try to find parents. And, and just in the last like week, I've found multiple parents that have had this diagnosis that my son now has, but yet they have mitochondrial dysfunction as well. Oh, and wow. our geneticist said that, you know, 10 years ago when Troy actually had some genetic testing done, they didn't even know about this, um, his current disease. They wouldn't have found it. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, it's so crazy. And they were talking about that actually at the symposium yesterday that literally genetics has come so far now that you can get tested in another three or four years and, you know, might actually get your diagnosis. But we were worried, like I heard you say about you know, getting him into trials. And unless you have a genetic diagnosis, they won't yeah. you into the trials. And I was like, we have to do this. Like, he can't just be an unknown, you know, mitochondrial disease, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It I, I, yeah. The right. only thing a diagnosis is going to do for Kyra is hopefully get her into this drug trial. But even if you have kids with the same diagnosis, everyone is so different with mito mm -hmm. and probably other diseases that are similar that present like mito diseases. Um, but everyone is so different. So you can't look at Angie and look at Kyra and compare because it, it, they're just presented so differently. And yeah. I think that's what's hard for doctors too, is just that they can have the exact same genetic diagnosis down to the same deletion and they can present completely different mm -hmm. and take a completely different pathway. Some pass away early and some are still you know, doing fine. So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting disease. Yeah. I don't get so hung up on, on the finding the exact name or disease or anything anymore, because I'm just like, Kyra's going to do what Kyra's going to do. Exactly. This is on, this is all what Kyra wants. So, you know, mm -hmm. we're just going to follow her lead and do the best we can, but I would love to have more research and information. Absolutely. But what do you do? If you think, if you think, you know, when you're, when the child's going to pass away, do you want to know or do you just want to live life do you want to put a timeline on that like I I don't yeah and I think too you know you think well what if there's a different treatment um but the problem with most of these mm -hmm. diseases out there is there aren't treatments like even Troy has a, a different diagnosis now and it's the exact same treatment that he was already on so it's not you know, you hope that there's going to be something out there, which, you know, maybe there might I know, be. it would be exciting. Almost yeah. Like that. yeah, exactly. So when you have that diagnosis, maybe you have, you know, other pathways to look at, but rare diseases tend to, you know, not have different treatments. So it's just, you know, being just enjoying your child and, you know, enjoying yeah. what they can do, not comparing them to others, like you said, um, you guys mm -hmm. are way ahead of the ball game with that. So yeah, Andrew and I always said that we would 
make sure that that Angie always had the best of her life. We never wanted to just add years just to add the years. We wanted every day to be meaningful and to be packed full of fun and love and just doing things that we thought that she would enjoy or us as a family would want memories of. Um, But I can say, and it's, it, like you were saying, like how every kid is different and, and there's all these different trials and drugs. And one thing that is really hard to step forward that you kind of have to stop yourself with is um, things are going to happen. And like you're saying, like Kyra is Kyra things. She's kind of, I mean, she's got the steering wheel, right. With, with what the type of diagnosis that she's going to have. And it's the same with all of these different drugs. You can't, you can't live your life thinking, Oh, but if, if my child had that one drug or if that one vitamin, or if I had known about this five years ago, you can't allow that to, to steer your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I can understand. Cause that would be, it's just going to eat at you. You know, I mean, there's always going to be progression and things like that um, in science and stuff like that, but you can only do what you can do right now for her. Yeah. These things are so rare. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And these things are so rare. You don't know. You don't know if that one thing could have helped. And you can live in the hope that maybe it would have, but it's, it could be the opposite. It might have not helped at all. So yeah, mm-hmm. but definitely having the happiest days that you, you possibly can. We're Absolutely. all about that, aren't we? Yes. Maybe too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's too much. <laughs> Um, we took her out on the boat yesterday and she was feeling better and she had fun. She had to go on a boat ride. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. So what is like day-to-day life now with Kyra? Um... Well, it, that's a, it's different every routines day. Routines are so hard yeah. and that's what we struggle with is because, um, yeah, it's, I it's think the so biggest hard. thing I can compare it to is a roller coaster. I mean, yeah. we'll have a good day and then we'll have a really bad day and then we'll have a couple good days and, um, she'll be kind of just, you know, uh, absent a little bit, just, you know, cause that her, her energy level is just constantly changing as you guys are aware. And so it seems like she'll just be able to finally store up just a little bit enough energy where she's there where she can track us she's um can recognize us because she'll smile or she'll smirk and so like for her um if we do have smiles and that type of energy it's very short-lived um it's usually only for about 15-20 minutes and we maybe experience it maybe i don't know once a week or just kind of depends, depends again yeah of how she's doing but um she's she's busy so uh you know lots of medications that she takes um, throughout the day. Um, she does have a neurogenic bladder and bowel. And so she has to be calfed intermittently every three hours. Um, we even have to uh, infuse an antibiotic um, uh, or push an antibiotic into her bladder um, each night um, to just help with her UTI issues. And then she has to have uh, enema and stool softeners and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. to help her go um, poop and she's uh so by the time oh she's on continuous feed so by the time you're done doing all the pooping and the peeing and the this, 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 i'm exhausted 
Well, did you but, ever think you'd be a registered nurse? <laughs> well, the thing is, Jesse luckily is a registered nurse. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but I am too now. <laughs> well, so, and this is the funny thing. So, uh, so I, I um, was a bedside nurse for a few years and I did like critical care ER, but I did the adult population. I never took care of kids because they always scared me and their parents scared me. I'd never <laughs> want to do a pediatric family. So, uh, so I was, I only did bedside for uh, a few years and then I moved more into um, doing quality and administration um, side. And so uh, I have definitely lost a lot of my uh, training and just a lot of the stuff that I had learned. And so I, I kind of feel like I'm the nurse, but now Bree's the doctor because she literally has just been a sponge. She's just uh, learned um, so much and she's really taught me a lot too, just with uh, all the stuff that she's found and, you know, her, her ability to just to, um, speak to it like just uh, retain that information without having that itch education is pretty impressive so she's she's rocking it you guys yeah. speak, I speak Kyra yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah so day-to-day -day is just you know a lot of maintenance stuff mm -hmm. we try to um, do we do therapy well she's not really doing therapies right now one because of COVID and two because I'm struggling a little bit because um, she's not making um, improvements in therapies and so it's, it's been hard for our therapists to write for insurance to cover these therapies, to justify it, yeah. to justify it when they, they, they have these goals, but we don't usually meet them or we can't find which goals to, to talk about. So we're kind of in a weird space with our physical therapies and speech therapies and stuff like that. I love doing them. It's kind of like something I look forward to. It's something that, that gets me out of bed on the, on the hard days with Kyra there's like purpose. There's like, okay, we're going to work on this. She loves her therapist. Um, it kind of gives me routine and schedule because she doesn't sleep well. So, yeah. um, and she cries a lot. Kyra is a, she just, I know a lot of kids with her similar diagnosis don't cry. Mm -hmm. Um, but Kyra is very vocal and she's, it's exhausting. Her cousin's nickname or Kraya. Kraya. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. We laugh, you know, we laugh because we just have to, but, um, we're just, we're just tired a lot of the time. Jesse's yeah. working full time. Um, he's also getting his MBA right now. He's almost done. Um, so he's been doing this right. He started right when Kyra was born Then he had to take some time off when she got diagnosed. Um, but yeah, he's almost graduated and we're just deprived like having a newborn. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on almost graduating. Oh, That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I had a I forgot what it was. You guys are just talking about Cairo. Um, shoot. It is interesting that you said that she cries a lot because I think, yeah, I mean, Troy never really cried very much. He has a huge pain, really high pain tolerance. So, oh, wow. But a lot of the parents that we've spoken to have said that their children don't really cry very much. Um, yeah. yeah. When she was um, on, on phenobarbital, when they were first, you know, that it's kind of a blanket drug for seizures when they can't figure out how to stop them. Um, then she stopped crying and that yeah, she was just a so zombie. And that was so sad. Mm -hmm. She's on so many medications now, but we've figured out we're on a pretty good mix. Mm -hmm. And we are on the mito cocktail, like you guys were talking about in that episode. Um, we do um, levocarnitine and B50 complex and... Uh, what else makes up the coq10 coq10 yeah. mm -hmm. and oh and she's keto yeah. so she yeah. has to be keto like she yeah she's on a ketogenic diet no sugars nothing um because that's just how 
it kind of stops her seizures or it, mm -hmm. it lowers her seizures. And then if we introduce sugar at all, she starts seizing again. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I've read a lot about that. Troy has seizures as well. Um, mm -hmm about that different diet um so that's that's amazing that that's really helpful yeah it's really helped it's just it's made it challenging it's with her, her medications because you know any type of pill uh pill especially for pediatrics you know it's got carbs and all have sugars, sugars all over mm -hmm. it and so uh yeah sunscreens have carbs and sugars in it's them it's pretty wild <laughs> oh, i'm just trying to make sure we're not getting any carbs at all yeah because so, we can definitely see a, a pretty significant change even just with a little introduction even topical things? Yeah. Uh-huh. Absorbs into yeah. that. Oh, that's interesting. The, um, other med that she just started from her mito doctor in Seattle is called N-acetylcysteine. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed it helps her energy level so much. Mm -hmm. And that's also, it's, it's also called mucomist. A lot of kids with um, CF um, use that. So, uh, so it helps. Mucus yeah. But it's actually an uh, antioxidant. Yeah, and is it NAC? Is that yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that's helped. Is it Megan? Is it creatine? No, no. It's um, Troy doesn't take it, but um, they. I've heard that a lot of uh, people have been prescribed it lately. Um, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. It is an acetyl carnitine. So um, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I meant. Sorry, I should have asked my question better. The one that Christina, um, the her kids started. So they're on creatine. Yeah. Okay. Have you, are you guys on creatine? No, but I heard you talk yeah, about that in the episode. That. And so I was like, Oh, I really want to look into this. So I'll chat with our doctor and see what he thinks. Cause I, I'm like, oh, I love supplements. I'm like more Mary, you don't usually have a ton of side effects. Um, and acetylcysteine did cause some side effects. So we had to figure that out and kind of was hospitalized, but, um, you know, that thing that kind of happens sometimes, but I'm all about trying new, you know, supplements and things just to help her feel better. And yeah. So when you guys go to the hospital, you, you go to the hospital, obviously where you live, but your mito doctor is in Washington. So how does mm -hmm. that work? When you guys go into the hospital, do you have him on like speed dial and say, Hey, you need to talk to this doctor before you do anything? Yeah, it's not easy. I, I wish it was easier. Yeah. Um, our last admission, Kyra, was admitted to the ICU Mar at the end of March, so right in, right in the middle of all of this COVID um, stuff. And I think it was because she was in respiratory failure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was because the N-acetylcysteine caused too much thickness. And so we weren't supplementing that with extra water and she went into respiratory distress. And this is just my theory. They couldn't find anything on the respiratory panels that they did. Um, but uh, she had to be intubated and she was intubated for like five, six days. Yeah. We were there for 12 days. I mean, we almost lost her. It was yeah. the scariest thing ever. So then we called the doctor. They're, they're about to um, put the tube in, the vent in. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. There's an anesthesia med that she cannot have. And I can't remember what it is because I'm in shock right now. Um, I was like, you have to call the doctor right now. He's like, no, no, our anesthesiologists are really good. And I was like, no, 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 call Seattle. This is what we're supposed to do. And luckily they did because she can't have, what is the one they can't have? Propofol, yeah. You know, one of the things that we actually, I think we talked about this on one of the podcasts, um, but it's something, like I said, my son's 12 years old, and this is such a learning journey, no matter how long you've had a Mito child, it's, you know, you learn new things every day, but um, all of our, our doctors have written emergency letters um, that literally go through and say what they can have, what they can't have, what their diagnosis yeah. is, because, I mean, we, I have that in my 
you know, in all of our cars and my purse, because when you get in those situations, you're like, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I can't. I'm stressed out. Exactly. And it's, you know, so those are always good things to have, which honestly, I didn't even know about until I think Mm -hmm. we were talking amongst our Mito mom friends. I was like, what, you guys have an emergency letter? I didn't, I didn't think about that. You know, I just have, yeah, I just go in there with my knowledge that I hope is useful. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's always nice to have something like that to just hand them hands so that they know. Yes, totally. I agree. We even thought we were, you know, prepared just having her uh, DNR um, status as like modified. And we thought we had a good plan in place. But part of that was we didn't want to intubate because we just never thought that she would ever be able to come out out of it and we just thought we'd be you know and that's uh, kind of what our palliative care team steered us towards like mm -hmm. you know if you put her on a vent you might have to have the choice are you going to take her off like basically you're going to take her off life support and so that was in my brain so when they're like we need to intubate I was like this is the end yeah and it wasn't and she was excavated and then she was smiling and happy yeah, I mean, it's baseline. It's the, the the biggest thing I think that I've learned being a parent of Kyra or, you know, medically fragile kid is never say never. So like on our post, we're like, we're not intubating, but that was the right choice. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always said, we're never doing it, but I think we've just learned like never say never. Yeah. Just address each situation mm-hmm. differently. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, do you guys have a, like a, are you involved with like a regional center where you guys are at? Is that, does Idaho have, Idaho have that? Yeah. So it's, um, the hospital that we have, it, it's primarily just in our state. Um, it's a level, I think it's a tertiary center. Um, but yeah, they have a really, they're the, like the main pediatric center for the state of Idaho. And so they have a pretty good, uh, just I guess, um, to services available, but they still have a lot of opportunity as well. And so um, the majority of our our care has been primarily in Idaho. We haven't had to like transfer to Seattle to be admitted, but we have had some admissions in Seattle as well, Mm -hmm. where she was actually in the picture there as well for like 14 days. Um, So uh, separate from like the hospitals and separate from like pediatrics in California, we have our regional center goes through our school district. Um, so I don't know if Idaho has one, but you might want to look into it because if they do, then it mm-hmm. gives some extra um, uh, resources for therapies and for like a teacher. So oh, yeah. like here, um, if, you, if your insurance denies therapy, physical speech, any of that, then the regional center will work with you to get their therapists involved and then in that sense they then you get a whole different um physical fit let's let's just use physical therapy as Mm -hmm. they'll give you a physical therapist that will come to your house i mean i don't know now with covid but yeah they'll come to your house and then that is your new therapist but the cool thing for them is even if you don't want to use the therapy options they help you with finding like a teacher that will come to the house And at least that kind of gives you, at least for us, like our teacher, she was kind of like an extra therapist because she was like the play therapist. Like she was there to have fun and show like different types of toys or things to get attention. And Mm -hmm. she was with her team and they would all discuss like uh, each client and, and come up with new ideas. It's just a really cool 
um, option that we at least have that yeah. I, I hope more states have it. I think we have a similar one, but it's not through the hospital, but it's through the public school system. So yeah. if your child is homebound, they will bring in therapists and teachers and do homeschool, like, you know, for them. I mean, this is before COVID and um, all this stuff, but Kyra was actually able to go to preschool physically. Like the bus picked her up and we had a nurse go with her and the school provided it and she got all of her therapies there and the special needs pre-K program. <laughs> I'm so sad because COVID ruined it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, our school district um, does the same thing. My son is on what's called home hospital because just, I mean, he's been on it um, for quite a few years now. We used to just take him out of school during the flu season, but yeah. because there were just so many kids getting sick and um, <laughs> always having to take him home that we eventually just permanently went on the home hospital program. And it's, mm -hmm. like you said, the teacher comes to the house every day, not now, of course. Um, physical therapist, speech therapist. Uh, we even have music therapy, which is- Oh, I long. love that. So, but we also have, which I was actually just trying to look up to see if your um, state actually has um, the regional center, because that's like a completely different thing. And they will provide services for you up until five years old to win their uh, school age. But they also okay. provide something called respite, um, mm -hmm. which is where they will pay someone to come in and actually, um, you know, watch your child, even if you're still there for a couple hours, yeah. you know, just to give you some time. Um, so they, yeah, they do um, some different services, but I was trying to look up to see if your area. I feel, yeah, I feel like we have that in Idaho and I feel pretty supported um, with all that. It's amazing. I didn't know all the resources that like the health and welfare, um, like Medicaid and stuff supplies us. Mm -hmm. uh, another note too with respite is you can have anyone be your respite nurse. So if you have like a family member, your mom, a cousin, whatever, all they have to do is fill out the application and they can be paid to be a respite. So if you have someone that you like really trust that you would rather be in your home, um, then they totally. can be paid to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because we know with Mito kids, you, you know, just not anybody can come in and take care of my, literally my best friend who's helped me raise my son is the respite person. And so oh, good. Yeah, yeah. And she watches them anyway. So it's just kind of like a, okay, you know, because you obviously, mito kids are complicated and you can't just trust, you know. Yeah, I can't just bring anyone. Yeah. yeah. I remember when they offered it to me, I was like, um, no, pretty much no one comes into our home except for family. And I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of laughed at the person. I was like, ha, no. Yeah. <laughs> and it was funny yeah. because um, my best friend, I actually owned a home with her. We lived together and then, um, we purchased another home that has a pretty large granny flat. And so she purchased it with us and lives there. She's my son's like best friend in the world. Oh, and, I love that. And so we have the same address. So they were like, well, just don't let's, we'll figure it out. You know, I'm like, <laughs> we live at the same address. Like, how can that be? You know, because it, it, it usually they say it has to be um, somebody outside of the home, obviously. Yeah. Can't be like a parent or something like that. So um, yeah yeah it's it's they will work around stuff so um, yeah great. we've kind of just become experts on um like how to find the help that we need and all of these like government programs or you know type things that Kyra needs we've really become very smart on and I didn't ever want to be good at this <laughs> no, no, no it's definitely something you don't plan on but yeah um, yeah is there anything else that you guys want to tell us about Kyra or anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? 
Um, no, I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is uh, she's really just kind of put life in perspective for me, you know, as kind of slowed things down to kind of look at more of uh, the important things in life and focusing more on just quality. And, you know, like we talked about, we're not as worried with what the quantity entails with her, but, um, you know, it's been very challenging and we've had a lot of, you know, heartbreak with this, but she's also been the biggest blessing in our lives. And um, we just feel very fortunate to have her. Yeah. So we're lucky to be her parents. We're obsessed with her. We're, yeah, we really <laughs> like her. Obsessed. <laughs> well, I have to say, I obviously haven't met you before, but you two are doing an amazing job. You already are so knowledgeable about everything and you're doing so much for her that I'm, I'm really impressed because I know it took oh, me a long time to learn all the different things and you two are yeah. on top of it. So oh, thank oh, you. thanks. So she's blessed to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to like, if I have to turn anything, <clears throat> you know, positive about this experience, um, I, I just want to help other people when they have mm -hmm. questions about, you know, things that are like, I just want to guide people through if they, if they need to use my random knowledge that most people don't um, <laughs> but, you know, to help parents with newly diagnosed kids or something like I just, I have to figure out, but I think that this is kind of just giving us a purpose, you know, like just to help others. Um, because we've had so much help with Kyra. So we just kind of want to reciprocate that. And I don't know we, when we can do that or um, if we can do that, but that's just kind of my goal with this, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's one of the reasons, I said weasons. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the reasons we started this podcast because- I we, love it. You know, we want to help other parents and it is. Sometimes it's totally random knowledge that only pertains to your child, but you never know who else is going to be in that situation or you know, need that yeah. little tidbit or just, you know, sharing other people's stories. It's just, it's, you know, we're on our own journey. Yeah. And it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing to come together and share. If all this podcast would have been around when Cairo was first diagnosed, I it, like I was searching for podcasts about Mido stuff and um, searching for anyone who is having the same story as, as us. And so it's going to help so many people. I'm so happy that you guys asked us to be yeah. on it because Unfortunately, there is a lot of Mito out there. It's just not always diagnosed correctly. So I think people will hear your guys' stories and our stories and be like, oh, it's so similar. You know, we speak the same language. Yeah, exactly. We want people to feel like they have, like they do have a connection with somebody out there. They might not have the resources to find you guys or find the, the family that is like them, but they are out there. It's, mm -hmm. it's not, um, Mito is not that rare. It, it seems like it when yeah. you first dive in, but like the the more stories we hear, the more podcasts that we do, or the more research that we do, you just realize like, no, this isn't this isn't rare. It needs to be. It needs people need to stop saying or stop recording it as that way because that's kind of what makes it hard for us to get the resources that we need. Because yeah, and and it's weird that so many. I don't know. I to me, I still think it's very weird that doctors and nurses and just that medical professional um a lot of them have still never heard of it and i know that we are all kind of we've all dove into this so yeah our our world is smaller and we see a lot more mito but i feel like if we can find each other then then why haven't any of these like uh people heard of it or why have they not dealt with it or or at least know a person with it you know yeah but we'll get there it's not like, it's not like cancer, you know, it's not like funding, funding everywhere and hospitals, 
you know, do all this research, you know, it's because it's so unheard of and misdiagnosed that we don't have the right, you know, funding and research and that could really help our kids. Yeah. Could really help Kyra, you know? Yeah. Well, we both really appreciate you guys coming on with us and telling your story and we love hearing about Kyra and I love seeing her pictures. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Thank you guys. So nice to to meet you guys virtually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are the Mito Podcast. If anyone has any suggestions or questions, um, please either message us on Facebook, you can message us on Instagram, or you can send us an email at mitopodcast at gmail.com. And I'm Ashley. And I'm Megan. And we'll see you next time, or here next time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening.